This is GamesAtWork.biz, your weekly podcast about gaming, technology, and play. Your hosts are Michael Martin, Andy Piper, and Michael Rowe. The thoughts and opinions on this podcast are those of the hosts and guests alone and are not the opinions of any organization which they have been, are, or may be affiliated with. This is episode 390, also available in black. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to GamesAtWork.biz, your weekly technology podcast. My name is Andy Piper, and I'm excited to be here this week to talk all things tech with my friends. And I'm going to pass over, first of all, to Mr. Michael Rowe. How are you, Michael? I am well, Andy. Great to see your smiling face uh, and to have another Friday afternoon of Tech Talk. No, wait a that sounds like some other website or podcast or something. I don't know. How about how about you, Michael Martin? How the heck are you? Uh, great and excited to get started here. So uh, I'd say we ought to jump straight in because we've got some fun articles to go through this week. Uh, starting off with the first one, which is you can have any color you want as long as it's the color black. Mm. Uh, so no, we're not referring to Ford Model T vehicles. Uh, no, we're not referring to matrix sunglasses. We're referring to Pantone colors that may have been used <laughs> in, in a document or something uh, before because Pantone now uh, has um, essentially monetized color. Yes. Yes. It's an amazing story, isn't it? So the link we have in the show notes, um, or one of the links we have is from Kotaku, um, and I think I saw this um, via the tweet that's embedded in the story, which is from a guy called Ian Anderson or at Fun With Stuff, talking about the fact that if you attempt to open a Photoshop file, that even one that's 20 years old, that has a, a Pantone color in and a, a, an obscure Pantone color, it's going to remove the color and make it black. <laughs> Paint it black. Um, <laughs> apparently, Pantone want $21 a month for access to their um, their library. So apparently this was supposed to happen. Uh, we must have missed this uh, because it didn't happen in March the th- on March the 31st. And then it was due for the August and that's passed. And now it's actually happening. So that if you try to open these uh, files that contain these uh, illegal or just uh, licensed colors that you, you don't have access to, then um, they uh, uh, come up as black. So I see a red swatch and I want to paint it black. Exactly. <laughs> it's uh, I, 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 it says here that it's Netflix, but for coloring in, which I think is quite hilarious. Yeah, I saw I, that. Too. I, I I found it really interesting that 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 um, Pantone. I I understand Pantone, right? I understand how they define the colors using the you know the hue, etc. But copywriting or at least licensing a color just seems kind of impossible because the spectrum of colors is a scientific fact, right? Well, yeah, and, so I was wondering uh, I about rendering that. of the color within the scope of a specific domain might be it. I guess that's what they're licensing here. But yeah, blew me away. Well, so the books, I mean, this is goes back many years to uh, print technology, of course, when mm-hmm. color mm-hmm. was 
you know, stored in in books <laughs> that you could browse through um, and and all of those kind of things. But it is interesting. Uh, the workarounds mentioned or the the other op options mentioned in the Kotaku story refer to free software um, and a free open color scheme called Open Color, which I haven't looked at before, but it's hosted on GitHub. So I will be having a look. Um, they, the story here draws a parallel with the infamous um, BMW heated seats uh, that we've spoken about. What, what I really thought of as soon as I read this is Cory Doctorow, and I will explain why. The author Cory Doctorow and, and uh, uh, noted speaker and thinker on these these topics. And uh, actually, somebody tweeted, I think, responded to this tweet and said, oh, um, Corey, you should get, you should uh, weigh in here. And he replied and said, actually, I'm writing a blog post about it right now, which we've got a link to on his pluralistic site, which is also very good. Now, Corey has an axe to grind uh, with this. And uh, he, uh, talks about, he talks about uh, uh, Adobe stealing your color. But he, he has a, also has a book out uh, and his latest book, is called Choke Point Capitalism. Written with a scholar called Rebecca Giblin. And uh, in this book, it talks all about big tech and uh, big content uh, being monetized, basically. So uh, it's a very good book. Uh, I've just started listening to the audiobook. Uh, it's very heavily weighted around topics like DRM and uh, how Apple and Amazon got really excited about DRM because it enabled them to keep control of the content uh, and keep control of your loyalty, essentially, once you've, you've bought into their ecosystem, even though the publishers ended up backing away from DRM, but Apple and Amazon, for example, don't remove it from the content. So there's a, a ton of interesting stuff in this book. It's uh, it's great. Uh, it's really worth looking at, reading, listening to whichever way you want to consume it. But this is absolutely um, in that ballpark of how these organizations are working to tie up the rights around content and force you to have to continue to pay for it. Yeah, the, I, I was thinking of great workarounds to the to the problem, right? And and I remembered that uh, both Adobe and well, not both, but Adobe and almost all other animation or paint tools or whatever have this little thing called the eyedropper, mm -hmm. <laughs> where if you can just get a screenshot of a Pantone color uh, from a website, you could just refill them all in, right? Uh, to your point on, on choke point capitalism and, and the book from Corey, which uh, I'm putting on my list now to read. I've seen it for a while and I just haven't done that yet. So thank you for bringing it back up again, um, is taking the idea that really over the last 20 years has taken off around the wisdom of the crowds and open source and all these things to get people to donate their labor as a as an expression of self or an expression of love for the technology or whatever and then using that to set up the choke points yep. in a capitalist mm -hmm. society to retrieve or extract the value of that i i think this is very interesting and uh, I look forward to reading it as well as you know you kind of see it now uh, with uh, with some of the things that are happening in the market 
You know, the thing that kind of grabbed me was it makes sense that when we're dealing with physical color, because there are paint companies that sell specific colors. And Mm -hmm. if you want those for your home or for something else you want to put color on. So I tried to think a little bit about what's this kind of close to what what else is like this. And the thing that grabbed me, at least to start with, were fonts. Right. Mm -hmm. So uh, someone who creates a font is entitled at least it makes sense to me that there's intellectual property around the font, but the font is something that's created, right? It is yes. not something Sci- it's that not a scientific exists. fact as Michael puts exactly. color, right. you know, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Right. Yes. Um, well, and, and you can go to a paint shop and that mixes paint for you and bring in a, a, a picture of a color that you like, right? Yes. Or you can pull off a piece of your siding because that's what we had to do when we were getting our house painted and new siding put on years and years ago, that they literally brought that, took it into the paint shop who scanned in the color so that it would match. Yeah, 100%. And, and there are notions of you know what constitutes British racing green that you could say that is that color. Yeah, or it's in this family or in this spectrum bounded by you know some some defined segments um but then again is that color really owned right um yeah. and as much as you can trademark a sound which trademarks i understand right harley davidson has done that a good long while ago so perhaps you could say that british racing green could be a trademarked color that should not could not be used by others without specific licensing against it but we're talking about the digital space that th- this would almost be the equivalent here it feels like of saying well i'm going to now charge a license fee for anyone who uses the letter and and you're welcome to pay me for it yeah it goes back to the book uh, accelerando right that i've talked about many many times where they used an algorithm to figure out all the missing patents and they just patented them them you could in theory figure out all the missing colors based off of the spectra and patent or or copyright or trademark all the ones that pantone hasn't got to yet yeah so so friends weigh in let us know what you feel like about colors and, and, and the like. And if you think we're all wet uh, or we're all blue uh, or something else, you know, do tell us. And, uh, and we'll be green. happy to engage. Yeah. Um, our next article uh, was one that's, that's really in our wheelhouse when we are thinking about games and playing games and the need for playing games. Uh, and it caught my attention, this Atlantic article called Adult Halloween is Stupid, Embarrassing, and very important. Um, <laughs> so yes, I got I got click baited into it because Halloween is just around the corner. It is the thirty first. Uh, incidentally, for anyone who's listening uh, on Monday or later when we publish the show, it is on Monday. It is not on Saturday, and it is not on we, Sunday. So if well, anyone we, knocks on the door, there's no Halloween that day, right? We had it at work yesterday um, for the adults, and then we had it at work today for the children. So uh, yeah. There was um, plenty, plenty of uh, f- folks dressed up. Uh, there was a, a movie shown. It was, um, and there were some treats put put out. So it was, it was fun. Yeah. And and neither of them should have got treats because it's not till Monday. <laughs> Outrageous. <laughs> Get off my lawn. <laughs> Speaking as someone who had over a thousand kids be on their lawn on occasion, uh, if you were to knock on my door on the day before Halloween or the day after Halloween. Those days are not Halloween. 
So I would say, get off my lawn. <laughs> so long time fr- followers and friends know that i i keep track of visitors on halloween we've not had uh we've not cracked the thousand mark in a number of years but uh, since we've but gee, we've had why. we've had i think our high <laughs> at our old house was 1200 uh in in the evening and, and you still never was. you still never automated the collection of statistics related to the young people attending your front door right and you need you need he was going to write some python scripts exactly you needed some kind of uh, some charts automation yeah we we didn't do facial recognition you know uh we we didn't do uh any of those things we we used an old flash and clicker you know a little so a little handheld (laughs) mechanical device uh with gears and a, a little switch that you would just go click every time good fun uh, anyway, the the, the main mo- main notion about the article that I thought was good was just that Halloween at an adult level does give permission, like any kind of a fun party event, to take on a different persona. Gosh, where have we heard that before? And to <laughs> perhaps act in a slightly different way, um, where we've heard that before too, and to do do that in real life. Yeah, uh, I agree. It was a bit. Uh bit clickbaity, but I, I did like the title, and I do think it's important to have fun, right? Um, and so uh, I have not had time to delve into the article in graphic detail, but uh, I think it's a it's a good idea, yeah. at least from a title perspective. So, so speaking of fun, and we've seen examples yes. of this before, and I, th- I think it was from Magic Leap was maybe the first one uh, that I think we've so. seen something like this. There was a, a fantastic tweet about uh, from 80 level at 80 level about a VR uh, football match that would simulcast what you see on TV on your tabletop, and you can watch the um, the how the plays evolve uh, both on the screen in two dimensions and on your table in three. That was pretty I, cool. I, I thought it was really cool. I wonder I wonder how three-dimensional the top-down look was, right? Because you can't really tell in the video that's on the tweet. Um, and I haven't had a chance to, to, to go into the detail article that's uh, linked to. But it would be kind of cool if it was much more like uh, the, the chess game in Star Wars. Right? Yeah. So you can actually see the players in full 3D instead of just kind of the tops-down um, board game-looking view of it. But really, really interesting. I like I like the idea of seeing the entire match as an overlook, kind of a strategic view, while you're looking at the tactical view at the same time. Andy, you, you were mentioning before the show that you thought this was really, really cool. I think it's great. And it's using the Tilt 5 as well. So, um, yeah, I think... Uh, it's a, a move towards showing some of the uh, possibilities with that with that technology. I'm excited by it. I think it look, just looks just the the demo image they've put up looks really really clever. Uh, I, I'm also same same as you. I'm curious to know what it feels like. You know to to actually to watch yeah. and interact with it. Um, so yeah, it uh, it looks very cool. I'll definitely be trying to dig in and learn more about it. He's the uh, the creator has his own YouTube channel with his own with various projects on it. So um, I shall go and have a look, and I encourage our listeners to do the same. So, so another visual uh, hack here, if you like, uh, that um, Michael I know appeals to you, given how much you like to play Microsoft's Flight Simulator. Uh, your normal view is sort of through the cockpit window, but uh, Dan Maloney here had a different take on things and the way he constructed his flight simulator, didn't he? Oh, oh, I, I, I thought this was hilarious. My, my view tends to be over the, the, the 
over the wings, I like to actually fly from the outside. I'm not, I don't care that close about looking from the inside of the cockpit, right? I like to see the landscapes and everything else. So I tend to fly in, I guess, third person mode. Uh, but yeah, this is, this is the ultimate flight simulator for people who don't want to be a pilot. Uh, and <laughs> He, he, he actually built a physical representation of the three seats on inside of an airplane in the passenger area. Not, not even in first class, right? This is, this is like at the bulkhead the, with the bulkhead against your back in uh, uh, economy class. And he, he's powering it with a Raspberry Pi Zero to, to allow you to look out of the window and experience landing at various airports around the globe. Uh, I thought that this was really, really cool. This, this is somebody who likes their simulations way too much. And I guess just hadn't had time to be in a flight in a long time and, and decided he would do something about it. Well, also, <laughs> I just love the... Uh... The, the little make made up space he's got with his little Alex Air yeah. kind of label above his head on the wall and uh, oh, yeah. all the branding it, and awesome. everything. It's so clever. It's very very funny. And and he even has the the air vents that work uh, <laughs> in in the plane. Right. He's got those working. He's got the, the speakers so you can hear. Oh, this is the captain speaking. And uh, if you look out the right side of the window, <laughs> I was right? so he, I was thinking when I was sending um, some of these across um, to you both this week while we were. Through, through our week that I was leaning a little too heavily into Hackaday as a, as a news source because I was seeing some really fun hacks and builds coming out uh, over the course of this week. But as soon as I saw this one, I thought of you, Michael Rowe, because I know uh, how much you love your, your flight simulators. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's super fun. Well, one of one of the really cool things that uh, that uh, Flight Sim recently added was uh, the, uh, the quadrocopters. Right, the kind of the the the, the vertical takeoff and landing vehicles. Um, I guess actually more than quadrocopters has six pro- six propellers pointed downward, um, which completely changed the the entire experience and dynamics of how you fly. Uh, so so I've been flying back to old places that I like to fly to or fly around just to re-experience them in a totally different flying manner. Very cool. In a, quadru- in, a uh, in a hexacopter mode, right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, the next article that we have is uh, interestingly enough from Hong Kong because that was the, the first airport that um, uh, Alex Air was flying into. This is a company called Tiny Maker um, and it's a teeny tiny 3D printer. That mm. is just what does it say? Six hundred grams? Mm. Are you kidding? That's like nothing. This is cool. Yeah. Well, and and, and it's 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 not a filament based printer, right? So that, that's the unique thing about it. So and and if I don't know if you remember, Andy, um, there was a there was a maker that somebody did a couple of years back using an iPhone screen. And this type of technique uh, to where it would use that to flash the light on the, the liquid and, and cure that one layer at a time. So there, there, this is actually kind of a rebuild of that in a more commercial level. Interesting. Well, so there is reference in the story here on all3dp.com. Um, uh, that to previous attempts to build something like this, um, and uh, which failed uh, as, a, as Kickstarter projects. Uh, they got fully funded but never came out. This one, uh, apparently, um, the makers claim it's fully working, uh, needs five watts of power to operate, so you can just run it off of a USB 
power charger basically uh it uh is maybe six inches tall i guess by the looks of uh, the pictures and images in fact specifically it's uh got a, a 155 millimeters tall um i can't do the math to convert uh between uh metric and imperial right now so 15 centimeters uh roughly yeah uh which is what five five inches roughly something like that so uh, yeah, roughly five. Or and so. then it's got quite a small build volume, so and and resolution. So resolution of three twenty by two forty pixels and a build volume of uh, three by four by six centimeters. Um, there are some nice add-ons that they're they're talking about. They're talking about this being portable. Um, it would be, I think, it's questionable how practical it is, but it's very cool. And I think one reason I wanted to share it with you both was. Uh, and, and and the other interesting thing here is at the price point, which is the early early pledge um, yeah. price is ninety nine dollars. So um, the one the one thing I wanted I, uh, that led me to share it with you both was thinking about the democratization of this and the you know making this more available in a smaller size that doesn't require you know to have a big desk and set up and space in your office and all that kind of stuff to to have your three D printer and. Presumably, they have to do something to figure out leveling and all of that kind of stuff because a mobile uh, 3D printer no, kind of... it's light cured. It's light cured. That's right, it's, of course. It's not You're absolutely filament. right. You, you, you absolutely said that um, two minutes ago, and I didn't pay... I didn't... Um, uh, it's, you know, yeah. it's okay. You're it's, absolutely right. But th that, that's what makes it so cool. Well, so it is cool. <laughs> One yeah. thing I wanted to say is that I've had an increasing number of poor experiences with Kickstarters recently. Um, where either things haven't um, shipped at all or have taken a very long time because of the various lockdowns, especially uh, around China and manufacturing areas there, but uh, also just uh, promise and uh, outcome, not um, matching expectation, um, where things are being built using uh, parts because there's part shortage, uh, component shortage, building parts that are substandard don't offer the features that were promised because the makers had to try to sort of cut corners so i will be very curious to see the outcome for this i'm not even though the price point is very tempting uh i'm not going to go ahead and uh, get involved in this one for now um i've seen incidentally also some very nice um uh 3d printers that have gone through kickstarter this year uh, and at least one or two of them have, have landed in the hands of friends of mine um, and have turned out to be very, very nice devices. So I think there's the one that from Anchor has just shipped that uh, the Anchor that make a lot of the power accessories and uh, batteries and cables and things. And I believe they, they that one has just shipped this week or the, the last week. And the the other one, I think, was the um, was one that's like super fast um, that came out in the last year or so as well. I'm trying to remember the name of it, but uh, they're much bigger. They're not portable like this. Is is um, I I keep trying to remember, but isn't Anchor one of the Amazon house brands? I do not think that it is, but you might be correct. Okay, I'm trying to remember. There's there's one that 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 is an Amazon house brand. Um, as you know, I, I am looking for a replacement to my dead 3D printer. I have been for some time now. Uh, so I'd love to, to get, you know, some of the ones that you've looked at or that you know of people having them uh, to, to take a look just because I, I have a very 
I have a very unique set of requirements. It is a. It is a. Uh, it is described as an Amazon native electronics brand, but it's actually started by a Google engineer, an ex Google engineer, okay, um, who moved from California to Shenzhen to start Anchor, and um, it apparently is a uh, uh, is a Chinese company. So uh, yeah, it's um, it's a, I, I I like their stuff. I mean, I've got a ton of their cool adapters and things. So yeah. Interesting, interesting uh, well, thing to 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 keep an eye on the the, uh, and I'd love to see more affordable, um, highly capable three D printers, um, not yeah. affordable, cutting corners kind of crappy three D printers um, <laughs> to deliver the promise. Well, I, I, I know we're, I know we're just about out of time, Michael. What what else you got for us? Uh, well, you you had something that you were keen to contribute around stage manager. You said you had a point you wanted to make. So. Well, yeah, there's been a lot of people um, who complained about Stage Manager. It, it did finally get released on Monday, um, and it is still not capable of its promises that it had made. But um, I, I waited until yesterday to put on the 16.2 beta. <laughs> On, on my iPad, which is what I use Stage Manager on. Um, and one of the biggest problems that I had with Stage Manager crashing when you're watching videos on an external display, you know, they had solved for 16 by 16.1 by disabling the external display functions, right? <laughs> which is like one of the key reasons you wanted Stage Manager. Uh, but uh, 16.2 um, re-enables it on the Pro models. Hmm. And I, I was able to get around one of the crashes I used to get. It still crashes by default, uh, but uh, <clears throat> if you hold your head just right and uh, make sure that you launch the application in full screen mode on the iPad and then tell it to go to the external monitor, that bug appears to be less volatile. <laughs> Not so, solved. But Not, less volatile. Well, if you let it launch on the external monitor, it will crash <laughs> um, and restart all of Springboard, basically taking you out of the iPad and back to the login screen. Um, so it's getting closer, but gosh, I wish all of the features that they showed in, <laughs> in June were, were enabled and working successfully. Mm. Um but I, I I have found they 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 they've done some cleanup things that are that are good. It's still not uh, up to promise, but uh, I do find that the sixteen point two beta seems to be getting closer to being a useful environment on an external monitor. Very very cool. Well, uh, wrapping things up for today, our, our very last tweet uh, that we'll leave you with is. Um, while some things are working and other things are not quite working, uh, Kevin Bacon apparently is working for those oh, of yes. you who care and celebrate, uh, will be in the uh, holiday special for Guardians of the Galaxy. We know we have one or two Marvel fans. I, I, I saw this this week, and my question was, is this a holiday special or is this Guardians of the Galaxies 3? <laughs> Uh, or it, it could is be special. both. Yes. Or it could be both. <laughs> it's the holiday special. It's not God is in the Galaxy uh, 3. But anyway, yeah. And and given that it's a Disney property who also owns Star Wars, it'll probably be just as good as the Star Wars holiday special. <laughs> but, um, Why would bump. you do that to me? Uh, I can't but, wait um, to watch this. This looks really funny. <laughs> 
All right. Well, friends and family and everyone else, uh, please come back. Join us again next week when we'll have other talking points about other topics and other articles and the like and things and tech that you send in and that we find. And we'll look forward to seeing you then. But in the meantime, we hope you have a a fantastic week and um, talk to you again soon. See ya. See ya. Bye. You've been listening to GamesAtWork.biz, the podcast about gaming, technology, and play. We are part of the Blueberry Podcasting Network and would like to thank the band Random Encounters for their song, Big Blue. You can follow us on Twitter at GamesAtWork underscore biz or at our website at GamesAtWork.biz. GamesAtWork.biz